Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Page It to the Limit. With me today, I have a familiar voice and a new voice. So welcome back to the podcast, Julie, and welcome for the first time, Mary. My name is Mary Thingval. Uh, I am the Director of Developer Relations at Komunda, which is a source available process automation, process orchestration tool. Um, I have the pleasure of leading the team there, and we do uh, everything from community management to making sure that people are having a good experience with our community, the folks who are engaged, continue to stay engaged to developer advocacy, where we're really the bridge between the people using our product and the people building and promoting our product. And then our developer experience team, which is responsible for making sure that they remove any points of friction as people are getting up and running with Kumunda for the first time. Awesome. Julie, for folks who haven't been with us long enough to remember your past episodes. Well, yeah. Thanks, Mandy. It's really nice to be back. So yes, I did get to work with you at PagerDuty. Since then, I have now joined Amazon. Uh, So I'm with AWS as a senior developer advocate, which is amazing. I specifically focus on building communities as well. So I think Mary and I and you actually have a lot in common with just focusing on developers and, and what they need. Yeah. So let's start there. Like, what are developers looking for? Like, why is it a different practice to talk to developers? I can kick us off there. So I think one of the things that's a little bit different is that typically in communities that you're building, the people who are working on bringing those people together share those similar passions, right? So if you're creating a photography community, you're likely a photographer as well. And when it comes to developer relations and developer communities, often developers aren't the ones creating those communities. Uh, they're the ones that are creating the products. And so it's a little bit different with you know either finding people who have been developers in the past who are also interested in more of the people side or education side, depending on the angle you're going for, or finding people like myself who have not been a developer in past careers, but have the tech savviness to kind of be able to understand how the product works and where the holes might be and what gaps we can have and what we can do to fill some of those gaps. Yeah, I agree with all of that. When we talk about developer communities, we're not talking about communities that love to be marketed to. Because developers, when they're out there looking for help or when they're forming relationships or building these communities, they're really looking for things that are impactful to their day-to-day life. And one of the things that I love about developer communities is they're oftentimes self-driven by very passionate people. You know, we see that a lot with different communities involved with AWS, for example, People are very excited about the product and they they gather together. They, they gather together to talk about how to use tools, how to learn from each other. And, and I think when we talk about developer communities, they're communities that focus on, on teaching each other. And as a matter of fact, like Mandy, Mary, that's how I met you was through community. You know, going back to when I started in technology, Mary, you know, I met you, I believe we were at 
Scale or it was Scale that I met you with a little tiara and a puppy of yours. And the chef community was so welcoming that I felt like I could do anything. And then they taught me a lot. And I would say ultimately helped shape my career. But I don't know. What do you think, Mary? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the core thing to community from my side is, you know, it's not just people who are using a product. It's people who care about the others who are using that product, uh, who want to give back, who want to make other people around them more successful, and then are either creating content or making code contributions or mentoring or doing something within that group of people to make sure that the people around them are having success as well. So it's that collaboration and contribution side that really turns it from just a group of people who have things in common to a true community. Do you find that it's different for communities that organize around open source projects versus closed source projects? Or are folks like kind of enthusiastic about all that stuff? I think it can be different. I don't think it has to be. Open source projects tend to draw in more people who are willing and open to collaborating because that's what they do, right? If you're involved in an open source project, it's it's the carry water, chop wood, right? Like that's what you do. You collaborate, you contribute, you're in this together. And so I think some of that community spirit is intrinsically in that that product as a result. But I think for proprietary products, you know, it it can happen as well. It's just, it might take a little bit more effort and a little bit more nurturing to have some of those people who are using your software, who are really enthusiastic about it, to encourage them to give back, to encourage them to contribute content, to encourage them to take on other community members and mentor them, right? So it might take a little more encouragement and planning from your side, but I don't think there's any reason why that same community can't be formed. Well, and I think one of the keys there too, when you're looking at different types of communities, whether it's an open source community or or, or not, taking that feedback from your community and seeking that feedback from your community can make a big difference. Uh, just because, you know, I mean, PagerDuty, right? There's really no open source component to it. But when we were at DevOps Days conferences, when we were at any conference as DevRel, we weren't there looking for people to market to or to sell to. As a matter of fact, we kind of had a little, we don't send salespeople to DevOps Days booths. We were looking to get feedback because we talked about as being advocates advocating both to our community, but also advocating and bringing back uh, for our community back into the organization. And that's something that I think is incredibly important to developers is that being heard as you were bringing up, Mary. Yeah. Yeah. That two-way relationship becomes super important. Like you're out there as someone talking face-to-face with the users, which doesn't scale to send your engineering team absolutely everywhere. So it's nice to have a proxy that can bring stuff back for folks so they can learn what's going on with with everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the companies that I've seen be most successful with their communities are the ones who repeatedly prove to their community members that they want to hear that feedback, right? And it's not only, yes, I've, I've written that down. It's now on our roadmap. It's also when something starts happening around that issue, around that ticket, follow back up with that community member and say, hey, by the way, 
here's the progress on it. Do you have any other thoughts? Are there any other things that have come up as a result of this in the meantime, right? And that follow-up is a huge piece of that because you might hear the feedback, be willing to implement the feedback, but if you don't ever close that loop, then there's nothing to show that community member that it's their feedback that made a difference for this particular feature or this particular bug. A hundred percent. And having that mechanism in place is amazing. And even if you don't, don't ignore your community, right? They're, they're going to reach out if it's a bug and they've, they've submitted something on GitHub, you know, talk to them, at least acknowledge that you've heard them. And even if it's something that you're not going to, you know, maybe there's somebody requesting a new feature and, and maybe it's not on the roadmap. It's okay to tell your community that, to be open with your community instead of trying to avoid difficult questions. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who are scared of that, right? Like, oh, well, if someone brings something to us and we have to tell them it's not on the roadmap and it's not something that we're going to be considering, you know, they're going to run in the opposite direction. It's like, no, people appreciate that honesty and that authenticity. And I think that authenticity is what keeps a lot of people coming back, right? If you can openly say, hey, it's a great idea, but we're not pursuing that because, you know, it's not our bread and butter or it's not our strong suit or whatever the reasoning is, then people can understand why you are heading in the direction that you're heading. And it helps them give you more valuable feedback in the future as well. Yeah, definitely. Like there's no value to telling someone that, oh, well, think about it when you're not actually going to think about it, where you basically turned it down the first time it was requested seven years ago. And like sometimes as a community member of other pieces, other software products, like I'll go on in the support channel looking for the same question, find all these people asking the same question and there's never a definitive answer and the threads go back years. And then finally there's like a, a passive aggressive blog post that's like this violates our very ethos of our entire belief system for our product. <laughs> and then like it took like a hundred posts in their support channels to just be able to say, hey, no, this isn't what we're going to do with the product. And uh, yeah, it drives me bananas, but you know. Yep. You're hitting on something though with support channels. And that's what I want to say to developers who are out there listening to this right now. That is a huge benefit of being involved in a community. Sometimes it can be difficult to get direct support from an organization. Maybe if you are just learning on your own, it might not be an enterprise product, but there's this community out there that oftentimes is willing to help you and can help you find solutions to your problems or teach you. So reach out to your community as well. They're to be leveraged by you, but it means that you have to find them. And sometimes that can be hard, but there can be a lot of great places just to find community. And I would say some of those would even be like in person, you know, we've got meetups and, and conferences like DevOps Days, which honestly the DevOps Days community is I think one of the most amazing because they're so helpful and they just want to teach. But Mary, what do you think? Where are other good places? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, it might be if it's an open source project or source available project, GitHub issues is always a, a place that you can go. And if you're not sure about how to file an issue or whether or not people are actually checking those issues, some projects will actually have templates for how to create an issue, or you can go back and see how other people have done it in the past and whether or not the team is responsive. Julie, to your point, people are always wanting to hear feedback, uh, or at least usually wanting to hear feedback, hopefully wanting to hear feedback. I know my team very much is. And so if you're not easily finding a way to contribute that feedback, it could be, hey, 
put out a public tweet and name the company and say, hey, I've got some feedback about your product. Who's the right person for me to pass this along to, right? And whoever's responsible for their social media channels will then point you in the right direction. But I think there's always, always opportunities to give feedback. Whether or not the the company will accept it is their choice. But in my opinion, it's one of the most valuable points of contact that we have with our community members, right? You're the ones who are using our software. And if we're not listening to you, then we're not going to be creating the product that you want and need. A hundred percent. And I, I'm going to say this with a caveat too. If you're going to take to Twitter or some anything, remember that that is still tied to you as a person. So think through how you want to publicly be perceived when you're talking to these companies. Like I'm not going to lie. I know I have yelled at United on Twitter before. <laughs> and at this point in my life, I never plan on working for United. So <laughs> I'm not worried about it too much now, but what if someday I wanted to like, can that come back to me or will other people look at that? So I kind of think that it's important to think about how you come across on social media. That's not to say not to be authentic or be yourself. It's just kind of the way I look at it and, you know, take that or or not. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, not only how you're perceived, but also the fact that there's real people behind those accounts, right? Yeah. So if you're posting in a forum about a crappy experience you had, that's fair. That's your experience. But I think someone, and I'm trying to remember who said this and I'm not going to be able to come up with it, but the idea of not putting blame on a, on a person or an individual, but calling out what the problem is that you're having. Right. And so making sure that you're focused on, Hey, this, this wasn't a great experience. Is there something that I can do better? Is there something that you can do better? Right. Rather than your product is crappy and everyone who wrote it is crappy and this whole thing is crappy. Right. Like, <laughs> Again, how do you want to be represented? But then also remembering that there's people behind those products as well who genuinely are are doing what they can to make it a better experience for you and would benefit from your experience and your feedback. But it always goes over better if you're respectful with that feedback as well. Yeah, no one no one opened up their IDE this morning with the express purpose of putting something in that's going to make you mad. You're just, exactly. It's just, just not how, how development works. Like, it's just not where we're headed. We got other things to do. Then, then think about your, your grievance. But So we've used the word community a whole lot. When you think of your community, who is that? Is it everybody? Is it also the folks who work for your companies? Who actually makes up the community for a particular product space? I will jump on this right away only because I've literally been having this conversation for the last week and a half internally, which I love. I will kind of have an answer for you and I will also have more questions. So I've always viewed the community as a, a very holistic, inclusive of everybody concept, right? It's not only the people who are using our product, it's the people who are on our community platforms, it's our partners, it's our industry analysts, it's people that we're interacting with who are speaking at our conferences, it's also the people who are creating the product internally, right? Like, it's a very large group of people, essentially anyone who is interested in or has been interested in or is currently using our product, which is huge. But when I'm looking at that for the sake of my team, and if we're wanting to grow our community or better engage our community, and who are we looking at at that level, 
then I'm looking at, you know, people who are engaging on Komunda related community platforms. And those could be ones that we own and operate ourselves. Um, it could also be things like Stack Overflow or Reddit. Um, it could also be people who speak at conferences about Komunda, right? And one of the interesting questions that I was talking about with my CEO last week, he was asking me if I felt a need to check in with those community members to see if they self-identify as Komunda community members. So a great example, we have an industry analyst who attends a lot of our conferences, speaks at some of our conferences, is very involved in the, the process automation, process orchestration space. I would very much consider her a part of our community, right? She she blogs about our software, she's present at our events, but she's also not someone who's going to hop on the forums and answer questions. And so our CEO's point was, you know, well, would would she consider herself to be a part of our community? And I was having that discussion then today with a team member of mine who said, well, does it make a difference if she self-identifies as part of our community or not? Or is it more about who we consider to be part of our community and whether or not we think that she's a part of our community and how does that change how we interact with her? So I'd love to hear both of your responses to that, actually, if I'm allowed to ask questions now. (laughs) I mean, that is a bold question. So first of all, Mary, everything you said, I agree with 100%. And when you look at the definition of community, It is a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Like that's one of the definitions. The other one is people living in the same space or having a characteristic in common. Now, when we look at like having goals and interests and attitudes that are shared, kind of going back to chef, I never used chef, not once at all. Yet I feel like I was a part of the chef community. And I mean, part of that just came from the fact that I was an advocate for chef. Part of that is because I think that when you're 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 purchasing a, a product, a tool, you know, you're also looking at the community and how how do they behave? How what is their support level? That's something that I always thought about. And I loved the chef community compared to some others that I had run into at the time. Using the product is also a little loosey-goosey of a definition because I never used Chef, but I would have said that they all incorporated me into their community and I felt very welcomed. I think there are different types of community, you know, as Mary was saying, you know, is, it, is it a community that's on your platform or is it a community that's on Stack Overflow, for example, right? What I think is important is to not lose the fact that you shouldn't always expect your communities to come to you. You should go to where your communities are. And I think that that's a a key element for organizations to remember. And I know that that we've all done that. I mean, we've known each other for quite a bit of time. And and I think we've all been involved in initiatives where we've been where our community members are. But it's important to just like not discount somebody as a member of the community or be elitist about your community. And that's super important to me. I remember once going to a conference and and not knowing how to do something uh, with a specific product, but they were giving away a really cool shirt. And they told me I couldn't have the shirt because they didn't know how to do this specific thing. It was a, it was a coding challenge. And I'll tell you what, I uh, had nothing to do with that community from that time forward. So think about how are you accepting people in that, that maybe you wouldn't traditionally think are part of your community. Mandy, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, oh, it's a tough question, right? Because like, I think about when I first started Linux. So this is going back to like the dark ages, right? So like IRC and my first foray into asking questions about things. Um, I was playing with some Debian stuff and also some Red Hat stuff. And like the Debian community was a pack of buttholes, right? Like they were jerks and really obnoxious people. And I was like, you know what? I'm done here. Like I have enough rancid people in my real life. I don't need your hostility online. And I got lots of help other places. So like that, that drove like a bunch of decisions that then drove my, the first part of my career was I ended up being a Linux systems administrator and specializing in Red Hat based systems. So like, that's where I headed because like two weeks during my undergrad, a bunch of people were really obnoxious on IRC. So I think I turned out okay. Like it's fine. But like at the same time, like you said, with the shift community, like we were very conscientious about we are your buddies. Like we are all in this together. We're all here to learn this. None of us were born knowing any of this. We made up half of this stuff last week. Yeah. And like she's saying, they always acted like that. Mary, you always acted like that. And I think that that attitude, Mandy, of we don't expect you to know this anyhow, because we just made it up is key. Can we hit on something though, before this podcast ends? Uh Oh, I think that it's important to talk to folks about how do you welcome people into your community? Yeah. Not maybe us that are representative of our organization's But as good stewards of our community, how do we give people the shirt, the proverbial shirt, to make sure that that they feel welcome? So you all welcomed me in. What what was your what's your advice? Well, I mean, for a while, Chef was more a lifestyle brand than an actual software company. So like everybody got shirts, (laughs) but that's intentional. We don't know the trajectory of your career if you get interested in this stuff and become a decision maker somewhere like you're investing for the future with the the way you treat your community and making sure everyone feels welcome is definitely part of that. I think one of the things that had a big impact on me was Jason Yee. And, and granted, I did work for him for a little while when we worked at the same company. But when I met him at uh, VelocityConf, I think it was like 2015. Oh, I miss Velocity. Oh, my goodness. Me too, right? Jason met me and I didn't know anybody. And I I don't even honestly know how we met. I think I just randomly said hi to him because that's who Jason is. And he wandered me around and introduced me to people. And I think that's something, especially when folks are new, is, is to bring them in and help them feel welcome, provided that that's what they want, right? Some people would like to just be left alone. We should not force them into an open space or to talking or anything. But kind of maybe looking for those people that are are a little lost looking and, and helping them make connections. Mary, what do you think? Absolutely. That's actually one of my favorite things to do at conferences is like, cool, someone's standing at the back of the room by themselves. Someone's standing off to the side of the expo hall by themselves, right? Like pull them into the conversations that you're having. Someone ages ago came up with this Pac-Man analogy for being at conferences where you know there's always a little bit of space in the circle. So it's not a fully closed circle. It's kind of got an open mouth like a Pac-Man. And so it's this idea of like, great, there's, there's always room for someone else to join. You're always bringing other people into the circle. You're always welcoming other people into the conversation. And I think that was a lot of what we did at 
chef. I think that was a lot of what I've tried to do in any company that I'm in, right? Like, I don't care if you've been a developer before. I don't care if you can code with our specific software and get it up and running in five seconds flat. Like, doesn't matter. If you're interested in what we're doing, I will tell you what we're doing and see if there's a way that you can get involved. And I think the tech industry in general, I think has opened up to that idea more and more over the last few years with low code, with easier coding platforms, right? A lot more of the plug and play type of things. And it's been interesting to to talk to people about those because in some cases, sure, it's to allow for people who don't have as much coding experience, but it's also for people who just don't want to have to sit down and code everything out anymore. Like it's easier. Let's do it the easier way. Let's not continue to bang our heads against the wall and frustration of why isn't this piece of code working, right? And so I think that that inclusivity of, hey, we're all tired and we don't want to have to work as hard anymore has also opened us up to more people can do the things now, right? Which is great. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, any myths you would like to bust about communities and community building, things that people often get wrong that you want to set straight? I think that the myth I would like to bust is some people get stuck on titles or they think that because they have a certain title uh, means that maybe they aren't welcome in a group or, or shouldn't be talking to a certain community group. And I say, it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing the job. It doesn't matter if you're doing the job. As kind of going back to what Mary said, if you're interested in learning more or, or, or practicing or playing or anything, just introduce yourself to the community. It, it sounds scary, but it isn't. I could not agree more. I think that's fantastic. And I think the flip side of that also is making sure that we're welcoming people into our communities, making sure that people feel welcome. And I think there's a lot of what we've built up over the years in developer relations and community that's, you know, hey, we collaborate with a lot of people, we do a lot of things, but we aren't marketing, we aren't sales, we aren't these other departments, right? And I I think there's some validity to that. We have our own value. We aren't those teams. But I think at the end of the day, we really are people who have the opportunity to connect all of those teams, right? If someone starts out with, hey, I have feedback for the product team, and then it turns into a, hey, actually, I think your product could be really useful for us. Great. Make that introduction to sales, right? Take the feedback to marketing when someone says, hey, this is really interesting and I really like the way this is represented, right? We're able to be that bridge to so many other departments and be so helpful and really interface with the whole company on behalf of people who are using our products. And I think that puts us in a unique position and it gives us a lot of a lot of power. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Like, it's been super good to catch back up with you both and have this nice chat. Like, yeah, because we mentioned Velocity earlier like that was how mary and i first met a million years ago and how we even got hooked up so yeah yeah exactly lots lots of coffees in new definitely York yes 100 <laughs> percent. so many oh my god all right well this has been fantastic thank you both uh where can we find you online where are you living right now oh you're on twitter i live at julie underscore gund on twitter i'm mary underscore grace on twitter that's by far the best way to reach me excellent 
ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone out there, thank you for listening this week. We will wish you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.